Christianese hot topic. Oh yeah, it's a hot oh, topic. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Christianese dance at you, Jared Burkholder, broadcasting at our mobile secret location, just steps from away from a magical bunker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be like a Rush Limbaugh thing? Like, no, they want to shut us down, but they can't. <laughs> sounds like Mark Levin. Um, we're steps away from the magical unicorn. Those of you who don't know, don't know. But if you know, you know. That's the name of my meth dealer. Actually, Man. funny story that's not that funny. Do it. Right back behind us here mm-hmm. on the street behind my house mm-hmm. was like the largest meth bust in Santa Cruz history. Are you serious? Saugus for the win. Wow. I thought that would be your house. They haven't busted it yet, buddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You ever see Breaking Bad, everybody out there? Well, Breaking Bad, there's a new version with a pastor mm-hmm. and based loosely on Jared's life. Very loosely. <laughs> That's right. Hey, uh, welcome. Today's a hot topic. Jared, it you is. have something uh, interesting. But before we get to our interesting topic, I thought it might be fun to do a Christianese word of the day. Christianese word of the day. Word of the day. What do you got, Jared? Okay. Well, let me just preface by saying I understand there's a lot of theological richness to this. Sure. But uh, the phrase, when you, when you encounter a Christian mm-hmm. very often in the hallway mm-hmm. at a religious function. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you ask them, how you doing? Yeah. And they go, oh, better than I deserve. Uh, and uh, yeah. great theology there, right? Sure. We would totally affirm that the theology of you deserve eternal judgment, so anything you get above that is great. But I feel Absolutely. like that's often a Christian cloaking device. You know what I mean? Where it's yes. like, you know, I mean, you're a magician. You understand this. You're kind of doing one thing with your hand over here to distract from what's actually Called going on. Misdirection. Miss, thank you so much. Yeah. That's better than one handing, which is what <laughs> but I, I like it. Because <laughs> if we were on video right now, you'd see you'd Jared. You'd see a lot handing. of hands. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like it's like, yeah. you know, what people should say is like, well, I've been crying in the shower with a washcloth in my mouth for the exactly. last 10 days, but better than I deserve. Or like, you know, I've been hitting the scotch harder than I should have, but better than I deserve. Or like, well, I think about leaving my wife every morning, but better than I deserve. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a really. <laughs> It's yeah. like the reverse unspoken. You it's know what I mean? Exactly. You're, you're like you're getting out ahead of it. Well, now if you're going to introduce the reverse unspoken, <laughs> we have to deal with unspoken. Word of the day. What, what's an unspoken? We've already covered that. No, we? I don't think so. I do think an unspoken. No, you need to do it again. Uh, the unspoken. No, yeah. we, I know we have. The unspoken is when you you have something too embarrassing. To, to share with your small group, but you right. want them still to pray about it. Like pornography it's or always, addiction. Or it's always sure. something sorted. Yeah, it's never like. Yeah. I don't, it's never like well, I want to pray for a missionary, but I can't name them. It's never that. It's always, <laughs> it's always something horrible. You know, right now I have an unspoken. Um, mm. And in the environment I grew up in, I and mean, yeah. it wasn't just one. It was like um, I have, I just have three unspokens. If you could pray for him, and it was like, oh. And so someone was like, Lord, we pray for Mark's first unspoken. I get it. I get it. Lord, we pray for Mark's second unspoken. And Lord, then we want to bring that third unspoken to you. <laughs> See, Again, this is so interesting. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just like, okay, well, it, 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 just find someone you can be honest with and tell them tell but, them what's going on. Here's what I think is wrong with it. And I, I get it. And I didn't grow up in the church, so I don't have the same point of reference you have. But here's what I, I think is wrong with it. The more of these kind of things that are crutches that we end up leaning on that are not based in Scripture necessarily, then it becomes a culture unto itself. And that's the whole point of Christianese as we talk about. It's so inaccessible to other people to understand what we believe and why we believe it because it's rooted in Scripture. Like, Can you find an unspoken anywhere it, in Scripture? It like actually gives you an opportunity to not be 
transparent to not be transparent and not be real right because yeah. it's actually yeah. it really is misdirection yeah. right so rather yeah. than actually saying like hey i'm i'm really struggling with the sin of my life can we just be honest and and right. the christian community can speak into this and let's ask yeah. god for help or like you know i'm having a garbage day yeah. it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> better, better than, than i deserve, deserve. Well, and <laughs> listen if you say that then god bless you all right we're not taking a dump on you i no. just think it's funny because i think for some people i know them and i know what's going on yes and they it really is like uh everything's fine yeah no, no and and the other side of that coin would be of course that we don't want to always vomit things on people right because if oh, we're yeah. if we're always the person who's like how you doing and we're like oh this gosh you don't want to <laughs> how much that. time do you have <laughs> but i think then that's a point that's where we need to be connected within our church with people who are safe in smaller environments where especially if you're at a big church like we're at if only there was a group called connected gosh i wish there was to. for those of you in santa clarita come visit us at our abf on the weekends adult bible fellowship connected Ooh, that's another christian Jeez. we're just like layering <laughs> this is like the baklava of christianese word of the day. we're going for the trifecta this episode the abf the, the adult, adult bible, bible fellowship, fellowship. You can have adults, you can have Bibles, you can have fellowship, but you put them all together and that's a delicious fellowship sandwich. Mm, 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 mm. Tastes like Cheez-Its. <laughs> anyway, really I don't know what we're doing there. Really um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's so many things. And again, I hate to poo-poo everything because some people are just saying that just to be funny. And hey, funny. this you is know? the cardiologist. Can I take this Absolutely. call? Will you just fart around yeah, the mic? I'm just going to fart around for a little bit. So Jared, I'm not kidding you right now, is taking a call from his cardiologist. Those of you who don't know, there's a little bit of heart risk in Jared's um, Jared's family. So right now, I'm not, and this is not a bit, this is not a gag. Um, he is actually going to go ahead and, uh, and and field a phone call to make sure that his atrial... Uh, Can I tell you what I hate? What happened? Spectrum is calling me every day now from a similar number as my doctor. So I keep answering it and then they keep, I keep, I'm polite. I'm from the Midwest. So sure. I don't just hang up on them. So I'm like, oh, no, thank you. We're fine. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Brooke, I understand. Oh, thanks. That Now I'm fine. Oh, excuse me. And eventually just like, okay, well, I told the lady yesterday, okay, I'm going to hang up now. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And that's my Midwestern way of getting off the phone. So, so that wasn't my cardiologist. That was Spectrum. And what are you expecting from the card? Bad news or just an update? I'm supposed to get a CT scan to see the level mm -hmm. of my blockage. Do you have, but you don't, to your knowledge, you have well, no that's blockage. what the CT scan's for, Dan. I see. Interesting. Just yesterday, my dad... Got uh, two more stents put in. He had 100% blockage in an artery. You're so, kidding so me. We're not farting around in a brick holders here. I mean, we're really going for it. We're going to block all the arteries. Do you, let me ask you this just, and we're way off the topic, but I don't care because it's a hot topic. It's a hot topic. We can do whatever we want. It's our it's show. It's our show, Dan. Exactly. If you want to talk about something else, get your you own show. Get your own show. So uh, do you have a lot of physical characteristics similar to your dad? Like in terms of like, I'm looking like you don't necessarily look, I'm trying to think you don't look a whole lot. Like I'm just, do you have a lot of physical characteristics similar I'm to like your dad? I'm like mini Bruce. Really oh, you am. are. Yeah. So there's a good chance just anecdotally that way that you're built inside the way yep. he is. Interesting. I'm actually a clone of my father. Mm. The Russians tried it. it they worked. did. Yeah. Interesting. You know, they're interfering in the election again. I heard. I, I do. We want to do this. I think they are. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I provoked Jared today. I'm wearing his shirt with Ronald Reagan on it that says, I smell hippies, just to see if no, I I'm can. I'm fine with Reagan. I have no problem with Reagan. He's a Reagan. normal person who can read. That's It's kind of my bare threshold for being president is you have to be able to read. Did I ever tell you I met Ronald Reagan? No, where? Yeah, I interviewed him. Um, what? When, when I first moved to Los Angeles, he was not no longer president. His office was in the Fox Towers, the Nakatomi Plaza from original no Die Hard. No so way. his office was in the penthouse. Did you see Hans Gruber? 
I didn't. Hans Gruber was already dead by that point. Okay. But I went up there and uh, had to do put together a video, and so we had to interview him. So first thing, we go through this whole uh, process with the Secret Service. We get up there. As I'm going up in the elevator, Jack Kemp is coming down. So as we got out, he came in. Jeez. Uh, so anyway, the, the Secret Service, first thing they tell us, there's an alarm. We're going to we're gonna sound it for you right now. So if you hear this, you hit the ground. So they hit this alarm so we knew what it sounded like. Please hit the ground because if you don't, anybody anybody left standing hasn't been briefed, obviously. So they're going to go down. They'll be tackled. They'll be shot. This whatever. did not happen. Yes. So we're like, Every oh. person he hangs out with, they tell that like, hey. When they come to a meeting in that office, we first of all, we'd had background checks oh and all that gosh. stuff. So we're briefed. So then we go into his office. <laughs> we sit there. We set up the cameras and everything. And all of a sudden, the doors open, and here comes Ronald Reagan. So cool. Like, he, there were six of us in the room. He goes around the room, asks us a little bit something about all of us, and I'm, it's probably a thing that he did, so he associates something and then remembers your mm. name. So from then on, for the 20 minutes we were there, he remembered all of our names. He remembered a little something about us. was so cool. So we're trying to give him this script saying, sir, you know, here's what we... He's like, oh, yeah, 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 but tell me about that. And he's glancing down and then talking to us and glancing down. I'm like, the guy's... What may, I was in my head, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to need to paste it up somewhere for him. So at the end of, like... 17 minutes of talking and just kibitzing, as you will. Mm, I'm not Jewish, but I've played a Jewish person on television. <laughs> um, so all of a sudden, we're sort of like, sir, we should probably tape. He's, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, do, do you need a minute? He's, no, no, I'm fine. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Because the guy's 80-some years old or whatever. Good luck. One take, nails Jeez. it. He he must have, must have had a photographic memory. And this is when he's out of office. So like, it always makes me think, because people are like, oh, when he was in the office, he had Alzheimer's. He was at that time sharp as a tack because, like, he had an instant recall of the script, and it was like two paragraphs. That's crazy. And just did it, and then walked out. And we were like, "Oh my gosh, it was unbelievable." Yeah, yeah. I still can't get past that alarm thing. We should start doing that with our guests. I one hundred percent. You hear the alarm? <laughs> you got four seconds to hit the dirt. That means Jared has had a cardiac incident. That's and right. Anybody left in the room will be killed. You'll instantly be killed. Yeah, yeah. Right. My bodyguards wipe everybody out. <laughs> Oh my God. Hey, what we want to talk about yeah, today. Do it. Now that we've, you know, farted around we've for We've wasted minutes. a lot of time. So story of our life right there. We're 10 minutes in. It's only 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, great article, uh, cover article of The Atlantic, which, by the way, if you don't subscribe to The Atlantic, it's just such a great magazine. It's. It's so fair and balanced. It yeah. really is. It's a no-spin zone. I'm not lying. You know what I like about it, though? I like that you're still doing a hard copy, honestly, because anymore, I don't like well, digital things. Oh, you so did both. We, yeah. So, like, we get the digital subscription. But I like, like that you have this because there's something about, for me, holding things too. in my hand. I don't like reading things digitally. I don't know. Yeah. Go ahead. With my Cheerios, I read this. <clears throat> this is a true story. Okay. Um, so, the, the cover article was, the nuclear family was a mistake. And when I first saw that, I was kind of expecting the usual shtick of, like, you know what we need is to reframe the family mm -hmm. and... You know, you can have a dog that you're married to and two dads and, mm -hmm. you know, nine transgender children or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the author's point wasn't that. They were actually, they weren't necessarily decrying the nuclear family. They were more saying there's been something lost because of our disconnection from the extended family. Mm. So let me just kind of walk through yeah. a couple of parts here. Um, they're kind of tracing how there was a time in, in American culture where just because of necessity, kind of in the farming era, people had big families and they all lived together. And so if there was a loss, kind of that loss was insulated, right? So if somebody died, it wasn't like, you know, you were kind of all by yourself because there were aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents that were all kind of in one house. And yeah. Eventually, as incomes grew, uh, our people moved out of the farm kind of to the city to get better jobs and they moved away from their family and there's kind of this isolation that happened. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things they talk about throughout this is how uh, there's the economic disparity 
um, disproportionately allows people to absorb some of this loss. Mm -hmm. um, so, so they say at the the outlet or the outset here, we've made it for life for. Jeez, I can't talk. We've made life freer for individuals and more unstable for families. We made life better for adults, but worse for children. We've moved from big, interconnected, and extended families, which help protect the most vulnerable people in society from the shocks of life, to smaller, detached, nuclear families, a married couple and their children, to which the most privileged people in society, which gives the most privileged people in society room to maximize their talents and expand their options. This ship away from bigger, in interconnected, extended families to smaller, detached, nuclear families ultimately led to a familial system that liberates the rich and ravages the working class and the poor. Which mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting, mm -hmm. and I highlighted a bunch of passages here. But it, just listening to my voice read there uh, reminds me how boring it is to hear someone read. No, no, no. But it, 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 people are following you. People are smarter than you think, Jared. Trust me, they're following it. You think they are? Not really, but I'm going to say that because we're on the air. That's good. One <laughs> of the things he talks about is how, yeah. uh, as the, as families have moved away from each other, mm -hmm. um, there was a time in the 1950s and 60s where okay, they moved into neighborhoods, but because there was a consistency, you had the woman working at home, you had the children there, and there were still mm -hmm. a lot of people that were there. And so new families and communities were formed. Not only would you might live in proximity to your family still, but... Um, neighborhoods would work really hard to kind of to form these new cohesive communities because that's what people were used to. Right. And the author isn't isn't necessarily advocating that you know we need the women to stay at home or anything like that. He's just saying he just it was a function of yes, yeah, it was a function of what how it functioned. And yes. so they're saying that um, now rich people essentially or people with means are able to to purchase for themselves um, the things that are lost. Right. So they can actually rent those family mm -hmm. connections around. They can get tutors, they can get babysitting, they can get therapists, and the, the lower class and the impoverished don't have the ability to do that. And so it's ultimately the impoverished that, that deal with that. Mm -hmm. and they, they're really fair in this. They talk mm -hmm. about how um, progressives and conservatives don't really, have, don't really have a solution. So the author says, as the social structures that support the family have decayed, the debate about it has taken on a mythical quality. Social conservatives insist that we can bring the nuclear family back but the conditions that made for stable nuclear families in the 1950s are never returning. Conservatives have nothing to say to the kid whose dad has split, whose mom has three other kids with different dads. Go live in a nuclear family is really not relevant advice. If only a minority of households are traditional nuclear families, that means the majority are something else. Single parents, never married parents, blended families, grandparent-headed families, serial partnerships, and so on. Conservative ideas have not caught up to this reality. But then he says... Progressive, meanwhile, still t still talk like self-expressive individualists in the 1970s. People should have the freedom to pick whatever family they want. Um, he goes on to say, kind of in summary, in other words, the social conservatives have a philosophy of family that, that they can't operationalize because it no longer is relevant. Progressives have no philosophy of family life at all because they want to seem non-judgmental. The sexual, sexual revolution has come and gone. It's left us with no governing norms of family life, no guiding values, no articulated ideals. On this most central issue, our shared culture often has nothing relevant to say. And so for decades, things have been falling apart. You know, as I hear you talk about this, it makes me think if only there were an organization or a philosophy that would provide community and unify the family. Well, that's what I was thinking the whole time, right? So they're talking about, you know, we moved from these extended families where right. there was there was a lot of limitation, but there was a lot of support, right? And he says in a part here that we gave up support for autonomy. Right. There's been this move towards self-expression and individualism mm -hmm. and having extended families hampered that. Mm -hmm. And so we moved away from that to yeah. more nuclear families that give us a lot more flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, and even, even talks about how the markets kind of encourage that. Um, he says... 
two things are especially true in an American context. First, the markets want us to live alone or with just a few people. That we were mobile, unattached, and uncommitted, able to devote an enormous number of hours to our jobs. And second, when people who are raised in developing countries get money, they buy privacy. Mm -hmm. All that's fascinating, right? Yeah. And so there's been this move away from support to kind of to isolationism. Right. Um, but the problem is once we get there, once we have that freedom and self-expression, we actually find that it's much more lonely and, and, and just sad than well, we thought. And, and to what you said earlier, I think, like, if you'd want to say that, like, the rich can buy all of these things, that doesn't buy them family still, though. You're, right. You, you can still, still be you can just buy as, support. Yeah, but you can still yeah. be just as divided and broken. In fact, I would say even more so if your nanny's raising your kids all the time. Totally. Totally. Uh, what what so good you is can that? subsist, right? And yeah. so, I mean, I, obviously, we could we could we could come at this from the angle of of seeing that God's plan for the family really is best. But but I, mm -hmm. what I was reading this thinking is, okay, this is our culture right now, mm -hmm. and he says there's there's really no way back. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no way to go back to the extended families. There's a sense in which um, the number of family members living together has increased in the last five or ten years because millennials are, are going moving back in with their parents. Mm -hmm. Something you can look forward to. Um, and he's also yes. identifying that because of the high cost of healthcare, actually mm -hmm. more families now are are caring for older family at home rather than outsourcing it. So there's mm -hmm. been a little bit of an uptick in that. But he says, you know, there's really no way back to uh, to the 1800s to the to the early 1900s. Right. He's talking about a way forward. And doesn't necessarily have a great solution. So yeah, I'm reading this thinking, this is what the church does, right? right. I mean, we, we are called by God um, to move towards those who are hurting. Right. To move towards single moms, to, to, to wrap family around them, right? Right. Um, Aaron Miller, who's a pastor I work with, pastor at our church, and a couple of years ago was given a sermon on marriage and family mm -hmm. and just talking about how... Um, he was really talking about how God's plan for the family exists, but because of sin, there's there's a lot of times where that plan isn't fully realized. Right. And he just had this line he kept coming back to where uh, where the ideal lacks, God grace God's grace covers it. Sure. Right. And so I just think about people in our in our church community who are single moms, are are our blended families. Some there's a couple families in our church where the grandparents are raising the kids. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple ladies at our church, single ladies who have adopted kids yeah. um, because there's yeah. tremendous need for that. Yeah. And it's our job to move towards them. And even outside our church context, I mean, there's families who are like this, who uh, whether you know even the impoverished families who who aren't mm -hmm. able to to rent out or provide these kind of support structures for themselves, mm -hmm. or even the wealthier ones who are able to do it. But to your point. There's a soullessness to that. Absolutely. Right? Our calling is to move towards them and actually provide genuine community. And I think it's beyond class and it's beyond uh, resources and things like that because I look at my dad's family. He grew up in the Depression. Dirt poor told me stories about there was months at a time when they mm. lived on bean sandwiches because his dad would work for giant bags of pinto beans. And wow. So they had nothing, but they, the family stayed together, but yet none of them knew Christ at that time, and they were still just as broken. And, and then as we talked about wealthy people who can buy nannies or therapy or whatever, that's not the answer either. The answer is God. And I said facetiously earlier, if only there was, if only there was an organization. Well, it is the church, right? The church is, is that answer, and it not only provides practical, pragmatic, and can provide those needs, but it provides something deeper. It provides eternal security. Absolutely. Right? right, that none of this other stuff will. Right, and th and that's the 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 metaphysical reality yes. to it. Right, yeah. Um, and the wonderful thing about that metaphysical reality is it also it back back translates or back corresponds to the reality here and now. Because he talks throughout about how um, 
there's been this renewed effort to kind of redefine kinship. So mm-hmm. you saw that in the homosexual communities yes. in the 70s in San yes. Francisco where they kind of formed communes. communes. Because their families had rejected them, they mm-hmm. kind of formed families unto themselves. Mm-hmm. He mentioned there's a, a communal living space in Oakland um, where, where families, you know, you have uh, young professionals, you have families, you have mm-hmm. older people who all kind of live in this common space and they kind of form a new family unit together with strangers who become family. Mm-hmm. And there again, I mean, you know, <laughs> you can read it sarcastically going, gosh, you know, the church has been doing that for thousands of years. We've right. taken people from all walks of life and we brought them together Look into at a family. Yeah. And we actually do it better because it's not just that we have this, we live in the same plot, right? Mm-hmm. So some of these, these communes are not, not communes, but communal living spaces in, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area are simply predicated on who physically lives there. Correct. Right? We have something that transcends that because we have this community with people all over the world. And yeah, we congregate with people in a particular church. But even then, our our, our unity isn't simply that they sit next to us on the weekend. It's that we share the most important thing in Christ. What is the unifier? That's what we keep going back to. And you've talked about that a million times on the podcast. But the great, you know, that's, the, that's where liberation theology, for instance, breaks down. Because to your point that you've said a million times, you have as much in common with somebody in Nambia Right. Who's a Christian, right? And if that is not the case, then that's where liberation theology breaks down because mm. it's all predicated on your culture and where you are. But like we should be all unified, and and these things that these communal places don't provide is a template or a model or a root. What is your basis for for how you live? Mm. We've got a basis for how we live. The roadmap is is the Word, is right. the Bible, right. which is is so much. I mean, it's. It, we would argue that it's perfect because it's it's inerrant, and it you know if you live by those principles, you're, you things are, are going to work out better most of the time. It's it ends up being kind of common sense, right? Yeah. Right. Whereas if you're just basing, I get people try to create community because community is a huge huge thing. If you look at culture right now, sustainability, community, there's a lot of buzzwords like that, but but it's important. And that's they're trying to replicate things that, like you said, have existed in the church for generations. And it's interesting. And what's so fascinating to me about this article is it's yeah. always interesting when we see culture identifying a need mm-hmm. that the Bible tells us that we have. Right. Right. And again, I think that just ups the importance of us living out the calling that God has given us. Yes. Um, so I've been reading in, in Matthew and in the Sermon on the Mount, really familiarly, Christ says in Matthew five fourteen, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house, right? So kind of familiar, you're, you're this bright shining, you're this bright shining light. Don't, mm-hmm. don't you know, put a basket over it. Mm-hmm. And then he says in verse 16, the same way, let your light shine before others. But then, you know, I read this, but I think this just grabbed me recently so that they may see your good works mm-hmm. and give glory to your father, right? So really tight connection um, between our good works and giving glory to the Father. Mm-hmm. And so, again, as we would think about helping um, people in our community, regardless of, of class level, but also recognizing that there's there's an openness and sometimes a greater openness with those uh, who have greater need, right? Mm-hmm. It's our calling to move towards them as Christ moved towards us. Mm-hmm. Um, identifying, maybe even helping them see the needs that they don't even know that they have, right? right. Which would be spiritual needs. Right. Because all they're thinking but about. But even sometimes social needs, right? Because sure. like for a single mom, she's just trying to put food on the table. Absolutely. She's just trying to subsist. Yeah. And the thought of maybe having family and other support might not even occur to her. No. Having other role models for her kids might not even occur to Certainly. her. Certainly. And so to, to come alongside families yeah. and not only show them Christ and, and point them to eternal life, but but just love them, right? right? Um, and help them with physical needs and help them with homework and help be models and, and mentors to them. There's just such a tremendous opportunity, which is just a, a clarion call for us to get 
off our butts and go do something. Right. And, and also to, to provide something that ultimately is going to be a sustainable answer and holistic in so many ways, because there are so many band-aids. I think I texted you the other day, like Daisy and I were somewhere and she, my daughter, she's 15 and she's really thinking about, you know, Los Angeles right now. There's a lot of, there's an uptick in homelessness for mm-hmm. sure. And I've noticed it in the past year. And we it's up 13% over last year yeah. when they approved, you know, billions more in funding. Yeah. And you can, you can argue why that's happening, but the fact is it's happening. So as we were going somewhere to eat, she saw somebody at a bus stop. This guy was in rough shape. So she said, can we get him something? So yeah, that's we, awesome. we bought him, we bought him. But as that's I awesome. gave it to him and we talked to him, I realized this is such a bandaid. Uh, this guy, I don't know where he's at spiritually or anything. And we talked to him a little bit and of course said the obligatory, we're going to pray for you, which we have been, you know, we got his name, but it's such a bandaid like us doing that. I think it makes us feel better. Totally. Yeah. Then, you know, and it's a feel good moment where you're like, it helped. but it's, I, I got to thinking and Daisy and I were thinking through this. What's the long term help for somebody like that spiritually and physically in and that's in the every deal, way? right? The long term help is, is there. There's a tangible need. Mm-hmm. There's a tangible opportunity. The problem is it just takes a lot of effort, right? right? You know, right. They, in the article, they talked about um, some families who, there was this lady who um, was sitting at a stoplight and she saw two 10-year-old boys outside her window holding something heavy and she realized it was a gun and they shot her in the face oh, because man. part of being, to, to be initiated into this gang, they had to shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and she recognized, you know, the real victim there wasn't her. It was these kids, kids. who, in order to gain family, this gang is family, they have to shoot yeah. somebody in the face. Right. So she opened up her home to them and just helped 35 of these these kids. Which who, is why at our church we got rid of that whole thing, that idea, several years ago, where you had to shoot somebody in the face to be a member of the church. Well, I it think depends. It's I mean, it depends what level you're right. talking about. Well, it's true. Like, if you want to get platinum. I'm on OT8 right now. Because yeah. it's, you, again, at our church, we've combined Scientology with Christianity. It's been a great, yeah, it's it's awesome. been a great thing. For those we're of you actually don't know, looking to merge with Taco Bell, too. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, we're kidding. Thank you. There's Thank that. Thank you so much. Yeah. So that, now you know. Yeah, yeah, but she was saying, you know, these kids have to buy family with violence. Like, mm-hmm. why can't we just provide family to them? Yeah. Um, uh, we got a he just spoke at the conference your daughter was at. Um, mm-hmm. We have a good friend, uh, Dan Anderson, who we want to have on the show at some time, mm-hmm. um, who works down at Union Rescue Mission. And he likes to say, you know, he'll ask people, what do you think the, the biggest problem in homelessness is? And everybody's got an answer. Sure. Um, but he loves to say it's actually relationship, right? These people are homeless because they've, they've alienated or just don't have any other relationship. Because if they did, they'd right. be somewhere, right? right? right. Um, so talking about the, the thing that these people most need certainly is, uh, you know, drug treatment. They need mental health services. They need a place to sleep. They need meals. They need clothes. All those things are real. But long-term, in order to see change happen in their life, they need relationship, right? right? Um, and so we who have been brought back into relationship with God and now get to be relational ambassadors, it just really matters that we go and do that. And to yeah. your point, right, um, it's easy for us to reach for the Band-Aid that, that makes us feel good in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get in the trenches with people and right. walk through. And this is true just in, in discipleship in church, right? Mm-hmm. Relationships are messy. People are messy. It's, expe- it's especially true when we enter into someone who's, who's lived in a very different life context than that. Because we all have preferences. We have people that we would rather hang out with. Totally, yeah. You know? At church, I know I've been guilty of that. Like I've got my group of people that, and then somebody else comes in and like, you're nice, but like you don't invest. Yeah, and I keep trying to shake you and you just keep, you're like a bad penny, man. You're just, ah, we're always there. <laughs> I've noticed that, <laughs> especially when we play hide and seek and yeah. it ends up just being endlessly seek for like, me. And then you're still there yeah. and the lights are off. Yeah. That sucks. 
anyway, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think also that relational piece is important because as we go forward, you look at, that's the only way we can determine what people need. Because I would argue too, within this homelessness epidemic that's coming, there are a certain percentage of people that we need to have a relationship with to see what they need. Because some of them are never going to be able to survive on their own, no matter how much relationship, right. no matter how much you provide. There has to be... I don't know what that answer is, but because of addiction and or mental illness. Now, there's also a slice of people within there who can be helped. And there's a book that you have talked about before that I would love to get the author on. I don't even know if this person is still alive, but When Helping Hurts, mm. that has been so great for us because as we look at as we look at how important it is to sometimes you enable people in such a way that you're not helping them, you think you're helping mm -hmm. them. I know we've done that with people that we've tried to extend help to, and it ends up enabling them to continue in really bad things that won't that won't help them. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and the goal isn't simply autonomy. Right. Again, to this author's point, I think as American Christians, we've come to value autonomy and individualism so mm -hmm. so much that the goal sometimes for, for rehabilitation is let's just get this person on their own. Mm -hmm. And to think about someone who might never be able to be on their own, it's like, well, is it worth it? Right. And right. the goal isn't autonomy. The goal is is relationship and community with Christ that extends out into his body. Uh, the goal is showing the love of Christ to those who are lost and those yeah. who are who are saved. Um, the goal isn't like, okay, let's all get everybody get their own home and then they can just kind of, we can go home and we can come together for church, but then we can go. And then when I ask them how it's going, they can say better than I deserve. And that'll be that. Exactly. And I, the people I have seen, like I come from addiction in my family and I've seen the brokenness that that brings and that it, it, it extends to a whole group of people in a family. And as I, you know, I've done 12 step, I've done all that kind of stuff. And I've come to realize that none of that stuff, I, I'm not, I'm saying if somebody does that and it works for them, great. But from my experience, the people I've seen who've really had a holistic healing and again, not everything is perfect, but we've got people at our church that I've seen who've gone through prisons, gone through addiction, gone all through that stuff. And the people who've come out the other side sustainably, uh, holistically, spiritually, physically, everything are people who've gone through church kind of right. programs. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I can think of a couple people right now at church who, as I hear them talk about it, and they're going to be able to pay that forward with people because they've been there. I can never do that. That's right. one place where 12 step gets it right is it's addicts ministering, if you will. Now I, the problem I have with all that becomes, well, what is God? Like in 12 step, God can be anything. Right. I've come to realize that for me, that that's a dangerous that's a dangerous place yeah. for, as a Christian. But I think the people I've seen come out the other side are these people who've gotten a holistic approach and have a community to come back to and be discipled and be mentored and share life with people and they're stronger and they not only get out of their circumstance, but spiritually, eternally, right. they're secure. That you don't get, even if you just help somebody and they're okay, well then what about their their spiritual side? Right. Well, yeah. you know, because then you think, well, eternally, if they're great now, fantastic. That's for 70, 80, 90 years. And then you're, then what happens? And I think the balance there is, you know, we talked about this before. Uh, there can be an ethic in Christianity to not polish the rails on a sinking ship. Yes. You know, it's like, well, you know, why would we want to help African children have more water if they're just, if they're just going to go to hell right. less thirsty? Right. You know, and right, right. 
I think we can have a hierarchy of needs there, not to get all Maslow on us, but mm-hmm. um, we can recognize that their deepest need, their ultimate need is to be connected to Christ. But that yeah. doesn't denigrate the physical reality, right? God didn't right. create us as kind of amorphous souls who are floating in the ether. He put us in bodies, right? And even right. the incarnation shows us the importance of stepping into a particular context. Yeah. And so all that should just drive us towards, towards the hurting. Yeah. The author ends the article by saying, when we discuss the problems con- confronting our country, we don't talk about family enough. It feels too judgmental, too uncomfortable, maybe even too religious. But the blunt fact is the nuclear family has been crumpling in slow motion for decades. And many of our other problems with education, mental health, addiction, the quality of labor force stem from that crumbling. Mm-hmm. I just think there's a tremendous opportunity there Absolutely. Um, for us to recognize, not to take our cues from the Atlantic, but to recognize this is a reality around us. And if we step up and be the church that God has called us to be, then we're already moving towards these people, uh, people who have needs, people who like like us prior to Christ, right, are just are broken. And again, not we're taking we're not taking cues from the Atlantic, but I think it's also sticking your head in the sand if you don't look at what's going on in culture around you. And this right. is an example of a cultural information source, the Atlantic, wherever else it is, and people could be like, ah, it's a liberal rag or it's a conservative, whatever the place happens to be, but it's important for us to be connected and not be deaf, tone deaf to what's going on culturally because we want to engage in a way that makes sense and is relevant for what's going on, right? Sometimes as Christians, we tend to to fight. We're still fighting battles from the 1950s, right? Um, And this is a good clarion call to to say, hey, this is what's going on in our culture. The gospel addresses this. Let's be faithful. And again, it's it's how the gospel addresses this stuff. And I think to what we've talked about a million times, you know, people will romanticize the 50s or the 30s or the 40s or the 1900s, whenever. There was still plenty of brokenness. We just didn't see it, but it was still... That's what we need, though, Dan. We need to get back to when people really were very (laughs) hidden about their sins. Yeah, but what I would argue is that also things were not as... We've also gone to kind of crazy town, I think, culturally with with woke culture in a lot of situations, like when it comes to gender and things like that, the things that just ultimately I think people know deep down. And it doesn't mean that you don't love somebody and engage somebody where they're at with whatever they're dealing with, but also to say, hey, but ultimately this is, we got to look at that and say that's probably not beneficial in the long run. Right. Yeah. And again, we, you know, we we take our marching orders ultimately from scripture. From and scripture. the mission of God right. encompasses all this. So right. there's a lot to do. Let's get busy doing it. I agree. Good the article day. was uh, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake by David Brooks. It's in this uh, month's issue, March issue of The Atlantic. I would definitely commend it to you just as somebody to think about, as somebody to discuss. Absolutely. And if you have uh, if you have thoughts about that and you happen to read it and you happen to hear this podcast and you want to uh, ask some questions, uh, if it provokes you in some way, email us at blessingfilledhosts at gmail.com, blessingfilledhosts at gmail.com. I will tell you that I've been getting some emails. Have you? And have spam some, or? No, no, no. Uh, a couple were spam, to be honest with you. you. And I bought a timeshare from one of them. Yeah, go ahead. Well, that's fine. Did you get a free camera? Mm-hmm. I had spam for the first time the other day. Mm, what flavor? Regular spam? Are there flavored oh, yeah. spams? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is actually the restaurant made their own spam, so I don't even know if you mm, can call it that, but it was a spam and egg sandwich, the top three breakfast sandwiches of my life. Spam is underrated, I will tell you. I grew up, I ate a lot of spam because my mom would buy spam. I think it was more of a 70s thing. Mm-hmm. I would have tang and Congealed spam. meats, yeah. Yeah, and it was uh, fantastic. I guess it's not good for you over the long term. I guess. Term, but I loved it. And yeah, people, really? I think it gets a bad name, yeah. And it's actually really big in the islands. That's where my, my right, mom, because right, right. she's lived in Hawaii for a while, and I, and I loved it. Again, this wasn't like official spam, but if official spam tastes this good, <laughs> then wow, spam. I'm in. 
Uh, I, so I'm going to bring up some some of these questions uh, for future episodes that are really good. So uh, anyway, this was this was great. Uh, it's a little bit longer hot topic than normal, but I think that's good. Thirty five minutes, six seconds, give or take a few yeah, seconds. Whatever. whatever. Who cares? It's a show. Email us blessingfieldhost at gmail We've got some interesting guests coming up, and uh, we will be at some mobile locations in addition to the Unicorn Studios. Mm. Thanks for joining us, Jared. Anything? Any parting thoughts? Oh, Dan. Not at all, except that um, it's just been, it's been great to be better than I deserve today. Blessings. Hot Topic.